So good to have you here. I know many of our family, our church family, are with. Uh, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, are with uh, family at Thanksgiving, and they're not here. So I'm glad you're here, and I'd love for you to take and turn to the book of James. We're going to start a special series uh, in James today that will go on for the next uh, seven weeks, and uh, we're excited about it. James is near the end of your New Testament. If you're not familiar with it, you can look it up in the index. You don't get discounted in points for that. We've called, um, uh, today we begin this seven-week series with the letter that James writes uh, to, to all sorts of people that we're going to cover in just a second. James covers all seven of our focuses, all seven of the goals for growth and maturity that we've set for ourselves uh, as a church. If you haven't got your uh, bookmark, they're, they're here. It lists everything that we're aiming for this year. And, and he's talking about connecting with people and reading the word and, and serving and learning the ways of God and praying and treating the people we bring uh, to the house of God well and living generously, giving freely. And I've called this, this series in the book of James, Talk is Cheap. And, and it's just that kind of slap-in-the-face kind of thing that James is covering here. He, he pushes, he cajoles, he, he challenges and convicts his readers to be more than just people who say they believe in Jesus. He insists that if we're a true follower, your faith must be evident in who you are, in what you do, in the way that you communicate, and in what you do with the assets that he has given to you. True faith is more than just words. True faith is action. Live it out practically and powerfully by what you say, by what you believe. Talk is cheap, but action costs you your life. That's what James is telling us in these seven weeks. I I mentioned that James is a letter that is not written to one church in one location, but it's sort of like your Christmas letter. It it's, says the same thing, but it goes out to many locations and many people. I, I want to briefly tell you something about James and something about the people that he writes to. James is a, is a very unique individual in what he has to say, and he's, he's unique in this. James is the younger half-brother of Jesus. He's the younger half-brother of Jesus. When Jesus goes home to Nazareth and preaches in the synagogue and the people stand back and say, why has he got all that he's got? We know this boy. He's the son of a carpenter. He's Mary's son. And, and, and he, we know his brothers. We know that, and, and we call them James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. We, we know that at first the family had difficulty with both the ministry and the popularity of Jesus. We, we read in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus entered into a house and again a crowd gathered and so he had his disciples, he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus for they said, he's out of his mind. I just want you to know that my baby brother is in the service tonight, or today, back there in the back row, okay? We look so much alike. Um, but 
Uh, He's my baby brother, and I'm not going to embarrass him by asking him, have you ever thought your older brother was out of his mind? But I'll just tell you that he would say yes, okay? He would say yes. Um, That happens with siblings. John chapter 7 verse 25 says that even his own brothers, even the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. And and Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 7 that after Jesus had risen from the dead that he appeared to a man named Cephas and then to the twelve and after that he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters at the same time and then he appeared to his brother James. We believe and it is believed it's felt that this post-resurrection encounter was a life-changing encounter for James. That he becomes more than a brother, but he becomes a full-fledged, on-fire believer and becomes a pillar of the church and a, and a leader in, in the church of Jerusalem. It says in, in one of the uh, books that Paul writes that he found James to be one of three pillars in the church of Jerusalem. That's a bit of the journey of James. But now let me tell you about the story of the people that he writes to. Acts chapter 7 says that on the day that Stephen, who had been persecuted and then was martyred, on that day Stephen was killed, Acts chapter 8 says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were thrown to the wind, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. James had worked with, had pastored many of these people, but they had been exiled because of the persecution, and they had fled the city of Jerusalem because it was too dangerous to live there as a Christian. And they went everywhere and carried with them both their love and their testimony, their witness of Jesus. And and in these new places that they landed, they, they weren't... They weren't in Jewish communities. They, there might have been a small pocket of Judy, uh, Judy, Jews in the community. There might have been a small pocket, but it was Gentile country. And, and once it was discovered that they were Christian, these people would be fired from their jobs, not allowed to take part in the culture or the economy of the cities that they had arrived in. They they were ignored. They were shamed. They were ridiculed, taunted, persecuted. They were blamed for everything that went wrong in the cities that they lived. We don't like these people who've come. They've raised the crime rate. They've, They've made it hard for my boy to find a job. They're lazy and they don't pull their weight in this town. They're a drain on our economy and health system. I I think that some of you have experienced that kind of treatment and, and, and have felt like you can understand something of being a stranger in a strange land and not being able to make your new location feel like a home. That's who James is writing to. To that people, to those Jewish exiles that are scattered everywhere in the then-known world, James says, this letter is from me, James, a slave of God, the property of God, and the Lord Jesus. He doesn't pull out the card out of his his sleeve and say, "Um, my brother can turn water into wine. My brother can heal the sick. He says, listen, I'm 
nobody. He's everything. I belong to him. He owns and I'm owned and operated by him. And, and then he jumps right into this whole thing of, of people in difficult places dealing with difficult circumstances. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we're in chapter uh, 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it a joy, a great joy. For, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Life, life is not easy. Life's not easy, and anyone who says it is, is lying to you. Troubles come. Temptations happen. Things come that test our patience and push against our faith. They're, they're either always there or always coming at us, heading our way. You know, this, this week as I was preparing, I, I just sat down and went through my prayer list where you're listed and just started listing the, the problems and the difficulties and the struggles that I know are going on in your homes. Started listing people who are mourning the loss of loved ones, people who are fighting battles with illness and struggling because our health system is slow and a little bit dysfunctional. People who are struggling to keep food on the table and a roof over their head. People who are struggling with worries and anxieties that something isn't right. People who are depressed, looking for work. Families who are fighting to stay together. And every time you turn around, there comes yet another crisis, another shortage, another disaster, another tragedy across the world stage. Life is hard. James, who's very practical and a loving pastoral soul, speaks hope to people who know and live with hardship and says the most unbelievable thing to them. When troubles of any kind come your way, if you've got your Bible open, maybe just underline that, that, that phrase, when troubles of any kind come your way. Please underline that because that means any kind of trouble. There are no exceptions in this. When these trials come, I want you to reject the normal response. I, I want you to train yourself, James says, not to groan, not to complain, not to cry helplessly, but to respond counterintuitively. I want you to look on these troubles as an opportunity to grow and an opening for God to show up and to bring with him great joy into your life and circumstance. Already as we start this, you're thinking, well, this isn't a letter I want to get right now. You're, you're ready to fold it up, put it back in the envelope, and right across the front of it, return to sender. I, I want to exercise my right to groan and complain. But James says, no, count it joy. Look for openings for great joy. James says, when faith is tested, what do you know about testing? We, we know that when we were students, we would study a unit, and at the end of that unit, there would be an exam. And the exam had two 
goals. One was for the teacher to know how well we had assimilated and soaked up all the information that was given. And two, to give you confidence that you knew the material and that because you knew the material, you could surge ahead. The higher the mark, the more confident you were. James says that testing is a spiritual process at work. When your faith is tested, when your strength is pushed, when your ability to endure gets greater through the testing, then your confidence grows. The person who gets up tomorrow post-feast and decides they're going to run around the block may start out well, but may sort of have their strength flag before they get all the way around the block. At some point, may think they're having a heart attack. But if they get up and they continue to push themselves, continue to test their, their strength and their endurance, maybe by Christmas time they'll be able to jog six or seven blocks because they've pushed, they've tested their strength, and they're now able to endure greater distances. James says this is true of faith. That's true of faith testing. You grow and you learn to endure, endure more difficult situations. James says, so let the process continue. Let, let these tests come. Let, let your joy, let your excitement that God is going to show up continue so that endurance can do what it was designed to do. It was designed to make you perfect. Now, if you're a kind soul and didn't fold the letter up and put it back in the envelope before, you may want to do it now. I ain't perfect now. I ain't never going to be perfect. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, um, he's not saying flawless and, and without weakness, but, but, but he's saying complete, able to meet any challenge without fear or worry. In the testing, in the pushing up against your faith, in an attempt to crush, to destroy your faith, if you lean on the author and finisher of your faith, He will stand up and he will reveal the strength and power of faith that finds its strength in who he is. You will discover that you need nothing else. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So adjust the attitude. Don't don't start sobbing. Why does everything happen to me? I'll I'll just free the room up. I've said that once or twice this week, this week. Don't, Don't give in to the pity party. Allow your spirit to become excited and even joyful. Because in the process, you're going to grow. You're going to get stronger. You're going to discover something more about God than you knew before the trial, the test, or the temptation. James is saying, be thankful for every grinding process you go through because God will use it to make you the person that he knows and designed you to be. Head with me on to verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God and God alone. Do not waver. For a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they're unstable in everything they do. Part, part of the discovery is that you don't go through tests alone. There are resources that are available. In these last few weeks, uh, my family has recently moved into new territory. One of my family has been ill for a number of years, and this illness has taken its toll, and, and we've wondered, what are the next steps? What, what do we do? And, and, and the trouble and difficulty is that we often try to find solutions, find answers without asking for anyone's help. However, if you do ask for help, and if you do get connected to the right sources, you, you discover that there are all sorts of wonderful connections, all sorts of resources that are available to you, and that can be very helpful and can keep you from being ground to death by the circumstances. So you're in a difficult situation and you don't know what to do next because you've never been in this kind of environment. You've never traveled this road before. You've never experienced this kind of pressure and these kinds of outcomes. You're overwhelmed and, and think, I just can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't have a clue what my next step will be. And James says, if you stop and if you ask God to give you what you need, if you lack wisdom, that's what's needed, then all you have to do is say, God, I need your help. I need your insight. I need the wisdom that you possess to come and infiltrate my situation and my circumstance. If you need wisdom, he'll give it to you. But, but there's a further insight. There's, there's, a, there's this wonderful revelation, not only of what God gives, but of who God is. He won't slap you in the head for asking. He'll not complain that you were not using the brains that God gave you. He'll show up and he will give you step by step a plan to move through and pass the test that you're now in. He wants you to know you are not alone. You have all, an all-wise God who knows beginning from the end, and he'll supply what you need. James says you need to be strong in your asking. You need to be bold. Come boldly into his presence and make your requests known. Don't, don't, don't waver. Don't, don't be thinking of, of plan B, C, and D. When you ask for his help, lean on, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be, don't be having your, your, your right hand on the Bible and your left hand looking up possible solutions on Google. Be committed to plan A, and God is always plan A. Get in close to God and ask boldly for what you need and believe. No, stake your life, stake your reputation on the fact that he will answer. He said he would. We'll just wait for him to answer. People who waffle and wobble, James says, on who is going to come through for me in the crunch, in time, of, of, of the four or five places that I've put my request out, who will come through first? And James says that person should not have any expectation of hearing from God. God said, if I answer, you won't know if it's Google or whatever. Plan A. If you're on plan A, then you know it came from God. 
People with divided loyalty don't get to a destination, James says. They're, they're people like scrap paper that gets blown by the wind. They, they have no destination. If, if you're wanting to go to Airdrie today and, and the wind is blowing from the west, you're not going to get there if you're a double-minded person. You're going to end up in Strathmore. And if it's blowing from the north, you're not going to get to Airdrie. You're going to end up in Turner Valley. You, you just get blown wherever the wind takes you. You don't have a destination. Wind-driven people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Underlying that phrase is a reminder. My loyalty, my faith are being tested so that I do not end up being a wind-blowing person. I'm going to be steadfast and stable like a tree that's planted by the waters of life. Wind-blowing people are people who have divided loyalty between God and the world, James says. I like it. I like James because he doesn't play around with words. He just takes the two by four and knocks you across the bridge of the nose and, and says, wind blowing people are unstable in everything they do. This is not who God made you to be. This is not how God intended you to live. That is not the legacy that he wanted to put into your hands. He wants you to live with purpose. He wants you to have strong, loyal, enduring faith in him because it's never misplaced. Blessed are they who trust in the Lord for they shall never be disappointed. Test people are thankful and they acknowledge that there is an incredible, incredible help and incredible strength when they stop and ask their generous God for his inter intervention. Verse 9. Believers who are poor... Have something to brag about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should, should boast that God has humbled them. They, they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, and the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty soon fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. There's a bit of a spiritual, mental gymnastic to grab hold of this. Not, not because James is unclear, but because he's speaking against everything that we have been brought up to believe. We believe that circumstances are telling factors of success or failure, of goodness or of evil, of approval or of rejection. We know what's going on when we can see and look at situations. A parent who's standing in the gallery watching their child's as a young offender stand up before a judge, we, we think that parent has messed up. Or, or a person without a new car or some meaningful assets is, is a poor steward of, of his resources. Or, or as a person with an addiction is a, a disappointment to their family and is undisciplined in their life. Or, or that someone in old clothes and, and no sign of recent grooming must be homeless, must be jobless. We think that circumstance defines status and defines story. But James says, no, that's not true. A, a, a situation 
You can't look at a situation and know what's going on. Your, your circumstance doesn't define your status, your success, your future. James says, if, if in this test you were left in a place of being poor for the moment, you, you have something to boast about. God has honored me. God has honored me to, and taken me to a place where I am going to learn that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You're honored, not shamed. God has placed you in a place where you can discover how generous a father he really is. You're going to have a first-hand, in-the-field understanding of Jesus as provider. If you're at this moment in time entrusted with great wealth and riches, you must come to God humbly and ask for his help and understanding, God, I know these riches aren't mine. They're yours. You've given me them to steward. And how can I steward for the maximum impact of wealth the wealth that you've given me. Circumstances come and circumstances go. They're like flowers. They come, they bloom, and before you know it, they wither and shrivel and die and end up composting to be the soil for next season's flowers. Paul said, when he writes to the Philippians, I've been in many different kinds of seasons. I know how to live on almost nothing. I know how to live with almost everything. I've learned that the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. James says, don't get stuck on the circumstance. Don't, don't get stuck on the world's measuring stick or, or success of success or failure. Don't, don't get hung up on the, the circumstances or the seasons that you're in. Learn what God has for you to learn in this season so you can go on to the next place. Learn that in every circumstance you can do anything and everything required through Christ who has given you strength through every trial and every test. G give thanks Give thanks for the perspective of heaven and ignore what the crowd on the sidelines is yelling at you. You're only looking after an audience of one. You're only looking for the smile of God. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. After they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and, and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Endurance is a is a big deal in the long run. Sprinters don't do well in marathons. They explode off the starting block and get miles out in front of the marathoner, but before the race is over, they've used up all the fuel and they, they stop, they quit, they die out. 
James says, in the realm of faith, how you start is not as important as the ability to endure to the very end of the race. Then, then James uses a word that is seen as a curse in the 21st century. James says that we should, and, and I encourage you again to underline this phrase, that God blesses those who patiently, that's the swear word, right? Patiently. Endure testing and temptation. Patience is is such a bad word in this, give it to me now. This this quick, minute rice kind of life that we live in. Who, Who has the time to be patient? I have places to go. I have people to see. I have things to do. I I don't have time to be. Fix it right now, God, or I'm going to get Google to help me and find another specialist. Relationship with God is the goal. Jesus is not wanting to be your spiritual vending machine where you come and put your 25-cent prayer in and push the appropriate button and out comes your tailor-made blessing. God is wanting to shape you, to form you, and conform you to his will and his ways so that you can do more than you think and, and act and stand as an accurate representation of who he is and all that he can do. That means that some transformation is needed in all of us. That means that our hearts have to change. Our our minds have to be transformed. Patience has its own reward. At the end of the test and when the temptations are all over and we stand before Christ, God will give us who have been faithful and endured to the end. He will give us a crown of life that was promised to all who love him. I I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was thinking, you know when you used to go to, as a child, you used to go to Burger King and they gave you one of those paper silver crowns? Big deal, you know? If, if, we, if I had it and it, I made it all the way home, that was pretty good, you know? That was pretty good. But, but James isn't talking about a burger crown. He, he, he's talking about a crown. Who, who needs another hat? I, I was hoping for something more, more than a crown in the hereafter. However, there's no language available to James to, to, de- to describe and explain the worth of the gift that God will give to those who love him, the, the worth and the reason he gives us that crown. So he uses what he understands to be the most valuable thing in his world, the the symbol of power and authority. God himself will give you a new role that has power and authority as you rule and reign with him forever. But but just so you know, there's, there's also value to a crown. I don't know, many of you would have seen pictures and some of you would have watched the entire funeral of Queen Elizabeth. And, and you know, as she was coming down the road, there was on her coffin, there was the St. Edward's crown. And, and that headpiece was big, it was heavy, and it was valuable. It has 444 precious stones in it. And it's utilized nearly five pounds of gold to to create the crown. And between the pure gold and the precious metals and the stones for the crown, that that little hat that sat on the top of that coffin, what would you guess it it costs? 
$39 million. That's not chump change. I could take you for lunch if we sold it, you know? $39 million. And so it's not only what it symbolizes, but it's got worth, it's got value. And we will go to the reason we need something of value in our possession eventually. But patience produces the blessing of God. And the person who endures all that life has to throw at them will be given by God a crown. And James makes it clear that these tests, these trials and temptations are not God throwing hardships at you to see if you survive. No one should say that this is a God test. This is God tempting me. That's not who God is. That's not how God rolls. He, he cannot be tempted to do wrong, and so he never brings us to a place where we're tempted to do wrong. That, that's another memorable line that we should probably memorize. He never tempts us to go wrong. Temptation is birthed not in his heart, but in mine. Temptation comes from our own desires. I was in a parking lot a couple of days ago. And as I got out of my car, I saw out of my silver uh, 2012 Toyota, okay, I saw a fire engine red Ferrari, two cars down. Now, I didn't get too close because I didn't want to be blamed for scratching the paint or anything, but I looked at it. And, and I let my mind wander and dream of driving a car at a good rate of speed down a California highway to the beach. I was, I was thinking about how many lotteries I would have to win before I could make it all come true. I was searching who you f how you figure out the odds in lotteries, and I was in another world before I even knew it. My desires had taken me somewhere. Our desires, James says, entice us. They, they lie to us. They, they drag us away from the reality of who God is, the reality of who he wants us to make us, and where he wants to take us. If left unchecked, these desires start a process. James uses biology here. Desires give birth to sinful actions, and when fed and nurtured, those sinful actions grow and give birth to a grotesque spiritual child, and that child takes us to death, spiritual death. It, it kills our relationship with God. It destroys sensitivity to the, to the voice of God. It, it pushes God out of all focus, and all of a sudden, we don't see, we don't hear him. We just see a forest of idols all the way around us. And they have no power to help us. There are two processes that are at work in all of us all the time. The process of God where in the grind of life, if we adopt an attitude that says God is at work in me to produce an enduring faith that can go through anything and come out stronger on the other side, we will end up with life, we will end up with reward. And then there's the process of desire that entices and lies and drags us away from the reality of who God is and sires sinful actions. And those actions are fed and strengthened and gain control of our life and take us to death. The choice is ours to make. 
And James says, in what you're facing today, grind through. Ask for God's help. Hang on and endure. Hang on and endure. So don't be misled, James 16, or James 1.16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift that's coming down from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He, he never changes. He never casts shifting shadow. He, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true and faithful word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Thankful for a father like our father. James says it so plainly. Family, brothers and sisters, God is never, God is a giver of good gifts. Gifts that fit you and where you are and what you need. Gifts that make you proud and grateful to have a God like him as your father. Gifts that are perfect and complete. Nothing grotesque, nothing death inducing. But gifts that come from a father who lives and practices his fatherhood in the light of day. He's good. He's always good. He, he chose to give birth to you and to me. He, he chose to give his true, authentic, dependable, unchanging word to you and to me. And you and me, out of all creation, have become, become his prized possessions. You want to underline that phrase, too. You see, next time you're in Banff and you're standing in awe and, and wonder of the mountains, say these words out loud to yourself and to God. As glorious and as majestic as these Rockies are, it's me that's his prized possession. The, the, the next time you're standing by the Pacific Ocean and, and you're seeing how vast, how powerful it is, stand and state God's word, this truth. I am his prized possession. I love the ocean, but it's me that's his prized possession. Underline that phrase. As intricate and beautiful and fragrant as a rose is, I still am more worthwhile, more beautiful to him than a rose. I am his prized possession. This Thanksgiving weekend, I have so much to be thankful for. I'm amazed, I'm overwhelmed that in all that's going on in the world today, God knows all about me and his thoughts towards me today are more numerous than the sands that sit beside the sea. I am mystified by it, but I stand on the truth of his word. I am his prized possession. I will not allow circumstances to push me down to a place of unbelief. I will not allow trouble to, to pull me off the certainty that God is true, that he is faithful, that he's always good. I will not allow trials to determine how I interpret God, who he is and what he's like. His word is faithful. His word is true. I will grind through it all to endure it all so that I can win the crown, the, right, the reward, the life that he's promised. <sighs> Endurance is a grind. You're going to come out of it with the help of God stronger, more confident, and able to do greater works than these, is what Jesus says. Plan to endure. 
Choose to trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will give direction to every footstep you take. Choose truth every day. You know, when we're in the midst of trial, when we're going through the grind, when, when we're feeling like we're in the pepper mill and coming out is nothing but dust, I want you to repeat and declare, I am his prized possession. I know that there are people in this room today and you're going through it and you're, you're struggling. And I identify with you this morning. For the last... Uh, number of years, my mom has had a, um, a kidney problem that has required dialysis. And about a few, few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, she called us in and said, listen, I, I just can't do this anymore. It's just too hard. I, I'm there three and a half hours a day for three days a week, and I, it takes me all week to recover. We assured her that whatever she decided, we would be with her. And so, a week ago, Friday, she said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And on Sunday evening, she ended up in the hospital. And on Monday, they declared that she was a palliative care person. Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was Thursday morning, they moved her to a hospice in northwest Calgary. And just before I came into the service this morning, I got word from my brother that she's passed away. And uh, that's a... I didn't want to really preach James this morning. I wanted to go to Psalms. But I do know this. Whatever we face, he is always good. He is always faithful. And in moments like this, I, in heaven, everything will be perfect and I'll never have a moment like this moment that I have this morning to just say to you, He's good. He's faithful. He's dependable. He never, ever, ever fails. His word will stand the test of time. Will you stand with me? I know that there's folks here that are going through stuff. There, there's been doctor's reports that have come, and we, Debbie and I have been praying over doctor's reports this week and just praying that the peace of God would come and rule over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know, I know that there are family difficulties and marriage difficulties and, and, and money difficulties and work difficulties, and all of that is just stuff that's coming at us and we grind our way through with endurance knowing this that he's faithful that he's faithful what I want you to do is probably one of the most difficult things we, I gave you a little bit of a trial of it at the beginning of the message but now I want you to do it I want you to lift up your hands and just praise him thank him for his goodness and for his, his loving kindness you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. We thank you, Father. You're faithful. You're kind. You're wonderful. You're true. God, my intention is to ask you for all my needs because you will. You are generous. You are so generous. You are so good, so kind. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. 
We love you, Father. We trust you. Can't go anywhere else. Where would we go if we didn't have you, God? Where would we go if we didn't have you? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you.